The Athletic. The only way to score is, of course, to play uh, with a handbrake off. Hello, I'm Ian Stone. This is Handbrake Off, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by The Athletic. The transfer window closed at 11pm at our time last night and there was a late bit of business that brought Jorginho from Chelsea for 18 months with an option for a little bit longer. Uh, we'll talk about that as well as our other signings and we'll look ahead to Saturday's game at Goodison where we will have to contend with Everton and a new manager bounce. We're joined this morning by Adrian Clark and James McNicholas. Morning, chaps. Morning, Ian. Good morning. Morning. Uh, transfer deadline day yesterday. How did you cope? Did you have coping strategies? Uh, Adrian, what were your coping strategies? <laughs> I just got very little interest is, is how I cope with it, really. Really? Um, I, I tr- yeah, I mean, of, of course I'm interested. But I, I, I refuse to get drawn in by the hype of transfer deadline day. Normally I'm too busy, and yesterday I was. I had loads of stuff to do. Lots of writing and, and, and planning. And I, I really, I, I didn't turn on Sky Sports News. I didn't turn on the radio. Occasionally, I glanced um, on Twitter just to see if we, anything had changed on Caicedo. It hadn't. And then I saw the Jorginho bits and, and that was it. I, I honestly don't care that much. Oh my God. I, I see it like a draw. You know, a draw for a cup competition. Yeah. I never watch them. Because you just wake up in the morning and see you've, see you've drawn. That's my sort of outlook on it. Nothing's going to change. So, um, yeah, that's that, 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 a bit boring, but, but I yeah, don't have that much interest. No, no, no. I, you, surely you watched the, uh, the cup draw where Tony Adams turned up slightly the worse for wear. I don't even think I did. You no. missed that one. Okay. There's a couple of famous ones. There's one with Tony Adams, one with Rod Stewart as well, uh, where he's also pretty drunk. And also another one with Donald Trump. And Jimmy Greaves. I'm oh, I have seen that one. I'm not even joking. <laughs> if you haven't seen that, it is worth having a look. Uh, James, how did you cope with transfer deadline day? Well, I had the opposite experience, I guess, because I was in the office at The Athletic um, where we make the hype, where we uh, are all on the sort of <laughs> hamster wheel of hyperbole. Uh, I was within earshot of David Ornstein as he was you know, breaking stories and taking calls. So it was quite a hectic day. How did I cope? Well, I mean, work laid on a sort of lovely, I'd call it like a kid's party buffet for us. And <laughs> I really heavily indulged on it, you know, out nice. of sort of anxiety. As long as I was eating, I didn't have to be working. So that was my strategy. Yeah. There was no soft play area, <laughs> anything like that, or just the uh, just the food? No, it's a nice swanky office, but it's not quite that swanky. <laughs> no, okay, fair enough. Uh, I, was, um, I was actually uh, writing some jokes for fantasy football. Uh, so we were discussing quite a bit. Uh, and, and in a second, I will tell you what the producer of the show said. He's a Chelsea fan, by the way, <laughs> about uh, our new signing. Um, but anyway, I, I cope reasonably well. I, I got home. I, I was actually watching something else on the telly last night and I suddenly realised, oh, it's, uh, uh, it's just gone 11. So I had a look at Sky Sports and uh, it was what I knew anyway. Uh, it was nothing particularly interesting, but uh, I know people are very involved, so we're going to discuss all that. I'm really, really excited and happy to be here. The big story, of course, was Jorginho. Um, something like 11 or 12 million quid for one and a half years. I should say, 
I want to ask how people feel about this move. Can I just state my own personal feelings and also Mm. tell you what this producer said? Um, (laughs) I mean, my feeling is that about 18 months ago, Jorginho was an integral part of a team that won the Champions League for Chelsea and then an integral part of a team uh, that won the uh, European Championships. Uh, And I think Arsenal fans turning up their nose at someone who achieved that, that not long ago is a bit much. On the other hand... We have been stunned by Chelsea before. Willian and David Luiz, of course, did not work out quite as we would have wanted. And uh, the producer, uh, who is a Chelsea fan, walked into work yesterday and said, and I quote, "Of Arsenal bought Jorginho, great, he's shit. Right, is what he said. He is quite a divisive character. Um, <laughs> Adrian, what do you think of this move? I mean, obviously it was a late, Movers because we didn't get our uh, our initial targets. How do you feel about Jorginho company Arsenal? I'm absolutely fine with it. I don't think he's shit. I think he's a good player. No. Um, third in the Ballon d'Or, I think, uh, 15 months ago. Yes. So, you know, to get a player, I know that I know he's, he's the wrong side of 30, but to get him for the price we did on a short-term contract like we did... As cover. Makes total, makes total sense. Yeah. Is he an upgrade... On Moel Nenny. I think we can all agree he is, surely. You know, for which we should be pleased, in my opinion, that that we've got him on board. Chelsea fans seem to have fallen out of love with him. I don't know if they ever loved him that much. Not all Um, of them. No, exactly. But uh, he is a bit like Granit Xhaka, isn't he? That that teammates and managers seem to to rave about him and fans aren't, aren't so sure. I think he just does the simple things very, very well. I don't think there's many better players in the world, actually, at getting the ball off centre-halves and shifting the ball on to a teammate, to a fellow midfielder or a full-back and whatnot. He knits things together really, really well. He's also pretty good at breaking up play. He hasn't got much speed, but he's got an excellent football brain, so which means he gets himself into good positions. And you look at the numbers. I mean, they don't lie. Over a number of years, he's broken up play every bit as well as the, the so-called elite Defensive midfielders, his numbers are better, for example, than Moises Caicedo this season. So, yeah, I don't think we should be sniffy at all. I think he's going to be great cover. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm pleased with it. Obviously, we all wanted Caicedo, like we wanted Mudrik. But but you, if, if clubs won't sell to you, then you have to move on. And, and in the short term, and that's all we really care about is the next five months, do Trossard and Jorginho improve us as much as Caicedo and Mudrik, I think there's an argument because they're Premier League proven that, that yeah, I do. I think they're great backups. Yeah. James, I mean, you wrote about this uh, in your piece uh, about Jorginho. Do you generally concur with what Adrian just said? I do, broadly. Uh, one of the advantages of being in the office yesterday, I was sat next to James Horncastle, who is our you know go-to guy for all things Italy and Italian, and he spoke about how Mancini, you know, built effectively that Euros winning side around uh, Jorginho and Verratti as well. It was kind of the, the technical base from which he completely changed Italy's style. And I, I think Arteta as well, it's worth mentioning, has a big history with this player. Yeah. He and Guardiola desperately wanted him at Manchester City in 2018. And he ended up going to Chelsea when Sari went there. They swept in at uh, the last minute and uh, and bought him themselves. Sari loved him, didn't he? I mean, he sort of, he embodied Sari ball a little bit, didn't he, really? He did, yeah. I mean, he, he was absolutely critical to him at Napoli and he took him to Chelsea as well. 
Arteta wanted him in the summer of 2020, uh, the summer Arsenal ultimately ended up signing Thomas Partey. And I actually found, I mentioned it in the piece, but these quotes from Arteta, an interview he gave in 2019, he was an assistant coach at, at Man City at the time and they were being linked with Rodri, who would ultimately come in. And he was asked about you know, that position, the number six position. He said, I don't want to get into names, but Manchester City's number six must understand our game. It is yes. vital. He is the one that makes everyone work, frees those in front and sets the pace. The position has changed a lot. There are a few teams that want to play with a single defensive midfielder holding the whole game. In other teams, that role is not as defined and we are losing the idea of having one who plays there, the Jorginho type that I love. And similarly, Arteta's Arsenal play with one there. And it is Thomas Partey. And all being well, it will continue to be Thomas Partey. But I think the fact that we've brought someone in who Arteta clearly is an enormous admirer of and has tremendous faith in as a backup is certainly an improvement on where we were. Is he an advance on Mohamed Elneny? I think so. And yeah. to be frank, we don't have Mohamed Elneny anyway because he's undergone surgery on a knee injury. So, we, yeah, we're certainly better off with him than without him. Yeah. By the way, Liam Toomey and Mark Kerry wrote a piece on the Athletic website just before the European Championship final in the summer of 2021 about how he plays and what he does for the team. I've got a Chelsea mate who said that he wasn't that convinced about Jorginho, but then he read that piece and he thought, oh, now I understand what he brings to the team. And he, <laughs> fe and he felt a lot happier about him. I mean, I've had various mates talking about us going through Chelsea's bins. <laughs> Fine I think that's a end. big part of people's is that what uh, it is? misgivings about the signing, isn't it? It's the the recent history of signing older players from Chelsea and particularly the Willian deal, which I think everyone even who was involved would say was sort of an unmitigated disaster for Arsenal. Yes. Yeah. yeah. yeah I, I think it's unfair to to sort of chuck him in that same same batch of Chelsea rejects. I, I, he's played a lot of football for Chelsea this season. I think he's made 15 appearances where Chelsea had 20 games. So he's been pretty involved. Okay, maybe hasn't been as outstanding this season. I've heard a lot of people say he slows things down and that he doesn't play forward passes. He's a sideways and backwards merchant. I've never really seen it that way. I've got to be honest. I think I see him as someone in tight areas that can pop the ball around really confidently. And that's what we want. I mean, Zinchenko, Jorginho, Partey, Xhaka. I, I can see them all combining really, really nicely. I can. Um, and I was looking at the numbers in terms of forward passes and no Chelsea midfielder makes as many forward passes as Jorginho, who I think over 30% of his passes go forward. And Thomas Partey, I think 27% yeah. of his passes go forward. So so those that say he goes sideways and backwards only, I think are off the mark. And not watching, essentially. They're not watching. I, so this fan reaction, I mean, I mean... I don't want to take too much notice of what goes on on Twitter, but Edu out trending on social media. I mean, who are these people then? <laughs> James, who are these people? I don't... I mean, I understand that we didn't get Mudrick and that was a bit disappointing because we all saw we saw him come on for Chelsea and go, oh, we'd have loved to have had him. And, uh, and we didn't get Caicedo... Uh, for reasons that you do talk about again in the piece about the uh, you know our relationship with Brighton, which may be a little bit damaged by what went on, but 
in the end, this is not a panic buy. That Mikel Arteta has been talking about this player since 2016 or 17 or something. Uh, it was just, it was a buy that we needed to make. Uh, it was made on the last day of the transfer window because there were no other options. Um, this is a pragmatic buy to try and secure the league title. Yeah, it was interesting yesterday, actually, you know, being around a lot of other journalists who cover other teams and several of them came up to me and said, you know, I've seen Edu out. It's trending on Twitter. You know, <laughs> you're top of the league. What's going on? Yeah. And I was trying to explain. I do think that, A, social media is not always the best sort of barometer of true broader fan sentiment. It tends no. to kind of amplify maybe a, an angrier minority. I think... I think there are people who have concerns about the fact that Arsenal didn't land either of their top targets in this window. In and Madrid, I think that, that is fair enough yeah. to have concerns. But to say Edu out on the back of that is, is, a, is a big leap, isn't it? Isn't it healthier, though, to, to have a budget and to stick to it? I, I just think, obviously, Chelsea are playing by different rules to everybody else that use the term rules lightly, of course. If you've got a budget... Ed, and Edu is the one with the budget and it has a limit, what can you do? I, I mean, do, do, do we really want to pay, you know, 120 million for Mudrick and at 90 to 100 million for Caicedo? And then meaning that we've got very little in the pot for the summer uh, where hopefully we'll be preparing for a Champions League campaign. I, I don't James? think so. I was just going to say, I think that, Chelsea's business has had a really distorting effect on the market. And in some ways, Arsenal are unfortunate that they've sort of had the budget and the inclination to go big at a time when Chelsea are out there playing, paying these hugely inflated prices that they're able to write off over the duration of you know absurdly long contracts. Effectively, it's a loophole within UEFA regulations, a loophole that is going to be gonna closed be imminently. But I, I think that's one of the issues for Arsenal. I, I do think that... What will be interesting to see moving forward is to what extent those alterations, those kind of mutations of the market are permanent. You know, we might be in a place now where Arsenal have kind of entered a phase of their development where in order to get players who really move the squad forward, they are going to be so uh, desired by many clubs with huge resources that the, the price tag might just be that inflated. It reminds me of the point in Liverpool's development when it was like, in order to push on, they had to go and get Van Dijk and they had to get Alisson and pay £80 million, which at that time was just absolutely astronomical. I do wonder if strategically Arsenal may find that this is their new reality that they are in and there may have to be some adjustment to that. Well, what we do is we take the extra prize money we get from winning the title and we spend that on top of the transfer <laughs> fee, right? That's what, how this what? works. <laughs> look at the look at the other teams. I mean, look, what Tottenham did or didn't do, not a lot of excitement there. Liverpool got Gakpo early and that's it. Mm. Manchester United got Veghorst on loan, which was a bit you know, at if, the end, didn't if Vegcourse came here on loan, I don't think people would have been that enamoured. And obviously, at the end, they got Sabitzer. there. I mean, other than Chelsea, I think Arsenal have been pretty busy and active, and and I would also say ambitious. Which, as supporters, that's what we want to see. We want to see a bit of ambition, don't we? And yeah, I and and I I think that the key holes have been plugged, as in defence, midfield, and attack. Yeah, we've got a forward, we've got a defensive midfielder and we've got a left-sided centre-half. So those were three real holes that needed fixing. And, yeah. and, and also I think the key 
thing really is that a lesson has been learned from last season. I think 12 months ago, had Arsenal not got Mudrik or Caicedo, they might have thought, let's keep our powder dry, let's go again. A year on with that experience and with the prize of the Premier League in front of them, they've thought that's not viable. You know, we need to do something. We need to do what we can. And January is a compromised window. It's not an ideal time to shop. So the other thing I think, again, I know this will frustrate some people, but I I personally think it's encouraging that Arsenal can look to the summer and think we haven't blown our budget and there could be some more attractive deals out there come the summer market. Yeah, quite. Uh, <clears throat> well, quite. I mean, we all, listen, Declan Rice being one of a number of players that might be uh, coming through the door if we get it right. Um, a couple of players went out on loan. Uh, Marquinhos went to Norwich. I mean, we, we don't seem to have a huge amount for the Europa League squad, uh, and he would certainly be one that would have featured. But that's the only cup competition we have got left. He certainly wasn't going to feature much in the league a good move for him to work with David Wagner at, uh, at Norwich, Adrian? I think it's a great move for him. Yeah, because Norwich are going to be at the top end of the championship. They've got a new manager. Their form has improved in recent weeks. They've scored four goals in their last two away games. So, yeah, Wagner's going to play an attacking brand of football. They're going to press from the front, which obviously is something that Marquinhos would need to do if he was wearing the Arsenal badge as well. So stylistically, it's it's an okay fit. It's a he was good level one. of football. He was good always one of... for the future, wasn't he? Really? Yeah, I, I think he obviously had that barnstorming debut where he scored and got an assist, but he didn't really back it up no. with with any convincing performances. And I think the longer the season went on, the the less trust that Mikel Arteta had in him, and that's the reason we just didn't see him even coming off the bench. And when you're in that position, you need football, don't you? you need game time, and what. The, ch- the challenge that Arsenal have laid before him now is go out to Norwich, be brilliant and come back a, a better player and we will give you those opportunities. But the risk, of course, is that Marquinhos goes there, doesn't perform, ends up on the bench for Norwich and then you're looking, well, where do I go from here? So it's a really, really important loan spell for, for Marquinhos, even though he's young and new to English football. I think he... He's under a little bit of pressure to make an impact. I, I think he can. I do. I don't think the championship is is anything special this season. It's a big drop off from the Prem, and um, yeah, I believe that he's good enough to to score and assist goals. But but it is we'll an see. if. It is an if. We'll yeah, see. We don't know. Uh, you could also say that, of course, about Samuel Lekonga, um, James went on loan to Crystal Palace. A lot of people saying, you know, for someone who plays in his position to have a manager like Patrick Vieira, who knows the, the, you know, the central midfield so well, he couldn't really be in better hands with a young team, a young, energetic, dynamic team at at, uh, Crystal Palace. Is it a good move for uh, Sambi? I think it's a great move for Sambi, actually. I think it's a really, really good uh, platform for him to go and play. I think you can query it from an Arsenal perspective in terms of, you know, we're talking about midfield depth, that brought Jorginho in, we've let one go out in Laconga. I think the fact that Arsenal have done that probably tells you a little bit about where he was in the manager's thoughts at this particular yes. point in time and maybe a bit about how much the player wanted to go and play and felt he had to go and play in order to kick on. You know, we're all sitting here 18 months into his time with Arsenal saying, well, he's not quite developed as we might hope. I think the only way of arresting that, the only way of changing that is by getting minutes. And I think there would have been a real question over how many he would have got between now and the end of the season. 
I still think his long-term future is, is probably in question, but I am really, really intrigued to see how he gets on there. And as I say, I think it's a good manager, a good club, a good team for him to go into. So I'll, I'll be watching very closely. Go on, Adrian. Yeah, this one did surprise me because it does leave us short on numbers, doesn't it? Especially with the Europa League games coming up. You're you're right. The assessment is that Mikel Arteta clearly didn't have much intention of using him between now and the end of the season unless he had to. The, the question is what happens if we do get multiple injuries in central midfield? That That is what I would ask. Zinchenko, I guess, is an option. Kivior Maybe. or Ben White are options, Maybe. are they, to come in? I, I, and then you can just sort of shunt everyone a little bit further forward. Could we maybe see an ML Smith-Rowe playing in a box-to-box role, the the opposite side of, of a Granite Xhaka or, or, or in place of Granite Xhaka if he's injured? Um, there are a few questions there. Um, and this, But this is the advantage of assembling a squad, isn't it, of versatile players, yes. of adaptable footballers. Yeah. And Mikel Arteta has been... Focusing really heavily on that, a little bit like Potter did at Brighton. He's bought players that can play numerous roles. And I suppose it's for situations like this. And let's be fair, Zinchenko uh, hardly, I mean, he's, a, <laughs> he's nominally a fullback, but, you know, we saw his touch map against May United and he was absolutely all over the pitch. I wouldn't have <laughs> too much of a problem him playing in, uh, in in central midfield, seeing as he does that for the uh, national Ukrainian national team. Uh, Cedric also went on loan uh, to Fulham. I mean, I mentioned this on the pod the other day, James, part of the leadership group, but, you know, it's it's the right move for him uh, to head off, I think. And uh, uh, and I don't think we'll be seeing him much more in an Arsenal shirt, will we? I'd be quite surprised, to be honest. I think he did have a role in the dressing room because he was the, you know, the most experienced Portuguese-speaking player. So for guys like Fabio Vieira or Marquinhos, who arrived in the summer, I think he played quite an important role, helping them settle, helping them adjust to life in North London. But on the pitch, you know, we were seeing less and less of him. Obviously, Ben White going over to right back uh, was quite a big factor in that. I think as well, bringing Kivior in, although he's not uh, a right-sided defender, it does just create that bit more depth in the in the defensive third. And for example, you know, it means we wouldn't have to use Tommy Asu maybe as a left-sided centre-back in an emergency. He could stick to right back and yeah, it creates space for Cedric to go. And uh, I think... He's reunited with his old manager, Marco Silva. They worked together years ago. They're quite close, got a very good relationship. So, uh, yeah, I think it'll be a good move for him. Yeah, link up with Willian as well. Yeah. <laughs> he, well, seems yeah to be, he seems to be enjoying himself. He's at, doing uh, okay, isn't he? He's he doing a lot better okay. for than he did for us. Yeah, <laughs> quite. Sure. Um, and so, uh, that all being said, that leaves us with a first-team squad, which uh, we've got three goalkeepers in Ramsdale, Turner and Hine. Uh, eight defenders in Tierney, White, Gabriel, Kivior, Saliba, Holding, Tommy Asim and Zinchenko. Eight midfielders in Partey, Saka, Odegaard, Smithrow, Vieira, Elneny, Xhaka and Jorginho. And five forwards uh, in G- in uh, Jesus, Martinelli, Anketia, Trossard and Reese Nelson. Adrian, Elneny's out for the season. There's no return date for Reese Nelson. Um, Gabriel Jesus could be back in four or five weeks and Emil Smithrow hopefully in the next week or so. Uh, assuming all things being equal and we suffer the same injuries to key players as Man City, is that enough, do we think, to maintain a challenge for the title? <laughs> I, I hope so. I really do. And, and I'm sure that Edu and Mikel Arteta hope so too. They've been brilliant. They've been unbelievable up until this point. Yeah. 
and they've just got to replicate it, haven't they? And we've we've all got to got to hope and keep our fingers crossed that we don't lose key players. That that is what I suspect will derail us if anything does, and and that's been the case for a long, long time. I have so much faith in in this starting eleven. And I have faith in the players that we've brought in. I think that they're really good additions. So we're in a better place than we were on January the 1st. But we are still at the mercy of injuries. And if we were to lose one of Saliba and Gabriel, if we were to lose Thomas Partey, and if we were to lose Bakayo Saka, we could get caught quite quite comfortably by Manchester City so yeah but let's let's hope none of that happens I've loved this season so far and I just want to keep the positivity it's um yeah I think we've got enough to 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 see it through I do I would add Martin Erdegaard uh, to that list oh yeah I should have done yeah yeah um uh James yeah I just was going to say that on the subject of the transfer window and the title race Maybe the deal that intrigued me the most was João Cancelo uh, leaving Manchester City. I know there's obviously been a fallout. He's not been playing at the level we're accustomed to with him and he's not been playing every week. But in my mind, if City were going to really hit their A game, top form, he would absolutely have been part of that. And the fact that he went without being directly replaced, uh, I I see that as a little bonus for Arsenal Mm, from this win. Definitely. Well, I mean, Amy did say, Amy did say last week, and maybe there will come a point if they go deep into the Champions League knockout stages where they will give, they will give up the league, uh, essentially, and let us, <laughs> let us have it. And hey, <laughs> from her mouth to God's ears, as my mother would say. Uh, so uh, let's see what happens. Um, this is Handbrake Off, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by The Athletic. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. We were a bit uh, with the handbrake at the time. Ian Stone here on Handbrake Off with Adrian Clark and James McNicholas. Saturday, 12.30, Goodison Park, Everton away. Never an easy away game. Never, never. An e- Actually, no, we did win 6-1 there, I think, at the start of one season. I remember Danielson getting one from outside the area. Um, but in general, not an easy away game. Obviously, they're in terrible form, but they do have a new manager uh, in uh, Sean Dyche. Only one win of the last five matches for versus uh, Dyche's Burnley. Um, but we hardly ever got beaten by them. But really, three points is a must, James, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. It's a little fillet for Everton that they got Sean Dyche in. I think it's a great appointment. I think he's absolutely the right man for that job at this particular point in time. But they had a pretty d- disappointing window themselves. I mean, they lost Anthony oh, Gordon, who's... One of their best players, and I think they didn't get anybody in. No, uh, despite no anyone, did they? Yeah. No, despite some efforts on the last day, and you know they have got some financial difficulties there. But the the message was kind of, oh, we're letting Gordon go to try and bring someone in that will suit Sean Dyche, maybe some, some physicality. They've not managed that, and you know, I, I'm sure he'll get them organised. But it's only a couple of weeks he's had Max to work with these players. You know, Arsenal are flying, so. They are big favourites in this game. I'm sure it's no, it won't be quite as easy as playing 
Frank Lampard's Everton and you know all this kind of negative momentum they had at that point in time. But Arsenal's quality should really tell here. And I think if they can get an early goal, you know, it might just take the wind out of uh, Dyche and Everton's sails. I mean, essentially, Adrian, we have to turn up, don't we? And that's what we've done all season. We come flying out of the blocks. They know what they have to do, play their game, move them around, all that interchangeable positions that, that we uh, that we do, and uh, we should have too much for them. There's, there's no excuses ahead of this game. We had plenty of time to prepare for it. Obviously, we made multiple changes for that City Cup tie, which I ended up feeling quite encouraged by, even though it was a, yes. a dull match. I, I think there were... We came up with more, more positives than Manchester City, I think. Um, so, yeah, there's no excuse not to go there and do our thing, do what we've done all season. Everton's record is three wins from 20. So <laughs> this, is, this, is, this is not the toughest away game, you know, on the calendar. Home record is the second worst in the, in the Premier League, just in front of Southampton. They've picked up eight points from a possible 30. Uh, on home turf so so this is a match we absolutely can win and yeah, providing we don't get someone sent off after five minutes or or have a disastrous performance I, I fully expect us to to take all three points Sean Dyche or no Sean Dyche and and um Leandro Trossard had a really good game uh, against Man City. He had chances and he was a bit unlucky not to score. Um, would you be tempted to start him instead of Gabriel Martinelli, James? I would be tempted. I don't know if I would do it, but it'd certainly give me some consideration. I mean, worth remembering as well, Martinelli came off the bench against City and looked very lively <laughs> himself. Yes, he did. Uh, yeah, that would look like one of his sort of sharper performances there in recent yeah. weeks. What so, a new signing does, James. Yeah, yeah well, maybe, you know. <laughs> like so We saw Aaron Ramsdale, I think, talking about that, how it can light a fire under people, a new signing coming into the club. Yeah. I think Trossard is, is close and he's pushing hard. I, I expect it probably will be Martinelli. Just in terms of what he's produced across the season, I think Arteta will keep faith with him. But if it's not working, I don't think... He'll have hesitation about bringing Trossard on. You know, we've seen sometimes him stick with the starting eleven till quite late in games, 80th minute, something like that. I think now with people like Trossard, Jorginho, he may act quicker if he needs to. I, I do think that Everton still struggle a bit at fullback as well. They've got Seamus Coleman, who's their probably their best option at right back. 55, 60 <laughs> now? Be. I mean, he's been around he for a while. He must be. I mean, he's a great human, according to Frank Lampard, but I'm not sure he's a great right back anymore. <laughs> I believe him. But... Um, Mikalenko at left back is okay. No, he's yeah. good, better going forward, I think, than, than in defence. So I think that Saka and Martinelli are, are the key men here for us. I really do. And it'll be interesting, won't it, whether Sean Dyche goes to his tried and trusted 4-4-2 or 4-4-1-1. I suspect he will. Has he got two forwards to play? I'm not sure he has. <laughs> I, don't think he has. I think he'll probably be more of a 4-4-1-1 man there. They did play for back three in the last match. It looks good on paper, yeah. to be honest, with Mina, Cody and Tarkovsky. Well, you'd imagine Tarkovsky is going to be a favourite of Dyche straight away. So is it going to be Tarkovsky and Mina, which means Cody's out or... Or is he going to stick with a back three? He never really played with three central defenders at Burnley, did he? So I, I think the wide players can really hurt them and also in central midfield. Not, I, I pretty much say this, rinse and repeat most weeks. If they've got only got a midfield two, our opponent, 
I just fancy us all day long to to control the match, yes. and um, and I think that Burnley were uh, that Everton rather Freudian <laughs> um, um, slip. Um, Everton will probably play with a midfield too, which is should be good news for us. All right, yeah, okay. Let's have a song before we go. What you got for us, James? <laughs> I was thinking about the uh, transfer window and Arsenal. You know, not necessarily getting their first choice targets, but ending up bringing people in nonetheless. So I went for uh, Adele. Never mind, I'll find someone like you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, fair enough. And uh, uh, what um, What about you, Adrian? Yeah, it's a good one. I like that. Um, I've gone for a song by an artist that, that is quite, um, yeah, it's topical. It, it's Plan B. Remember him? Um, plan B. Because um, cool. we, we had to go to our Plan B for... For Trossard, we went to our Plan B for Jorginho. Um, Plan B's best song, probably. Biggest hit was She Said. You'll all know it. So, yeah, it's nothing to do with football, but it's a Plan B song. So, so that's my choice. Okay. I am uh, addressing the uh, crazy people on social media, uh, basically. Uh, Edu out in a week where we've added some um, serious Premier League uh, uh, and and trophy winning experience to the squad. So I've gone for uh, a bit of Americana, Take It Easy by the Eagles. Take it easy. Don't let the sound of your own wheels make you crazy. Because really, people need to just chill out a little bit. Anyway, uh, that's it for Handbrake Off. We're back. Uh, when are we back? Monday, I think it is, or Sun. Oh, Sunday. We do. I think we're recording Sunday, and you'll hear it on Monday. Uh, thanks to Adrian. Thank you to James, and thanks to Abby, our producer. Enjoy the weekend, Gunas. See ya.